This is the 10-Minute Take with host John Stackhouse, delivering up-to-date insights and perspectives from RBC's analysts and experts on financial and economic developments related to the COVID-19 crisis. Hello, it's Wednesday, July 15th, and today we're focusing on mobility and traffic patterns during the COVID lockdowns and their potential impact on oil markets. Joining me is Michael Tran, Global Energy Strategist at RBC Capital Markets based in New York City. Michael, welcome back to the call. Thanks for having me, John. You're an energy analyst, and during COVID, you've turned to advanced analytics and big data to quantify and model societal behavior and human mobility during the pandemic. Can you briefly describe for us this new approach to research? When COVID first surfaced earlier this year, and many of our competitors on the street started comparing COVID to SARS, to Ebola, and swine flu as a historical precedent to try to assess the impact on global economic activity, we took a different approach. We started working closely with RBC Elements, our data science team, to let the data guide our process, guide our views, and guide our conclusions. Now, given how rapidly COVID has rippled through the economy, we needed to build real-time indicators to be able to assess the market impact. So we turned to satellite imaging, geospatial analytics. We're now also tracking cell phone ping data for how clusters of people are moving. We've just kept adding and adding and adding new tools to our toolbox, and now we can track everything from traffic activity all over the world to restaurant reservations to foot traffic through shopping malls. Now, given the huge spike in U.S. COVID infections over recent weeks, we've been spending a lot of time trying to really quantify just how societal behavior is changing in real time as a result of increasing cases. As the world is so rapidly changing right now, we've had to adapt and enhance our approach as well. So we're leveraging geolocation data to try to monitor where people are going, to gauge the degree of discretionary travel. Are people going to the mall? Are people heading to the airport? Are they returning to office buildings? So we spend an incredible amount of time trying to understand human behavior from a quantitative perspective. And it's actually quite an ambitious task to try to model this or try to quantify the human psyche Uh, But I think our attempt to do so has really entirely changed the way that we approach our research. As you mentioned, the renewed lockdowns in much of the United States has raised questions not only about the economic outlook, but about demand in the world's uh, largest oil market. How does your analysis show the renewed lockdowns playing out in terms of individual activity, notably vehicle traffic and flight traffic? Driving as a whole in the U.S. was improving at a reasonable clip through much of May and June, but the recent surge in infections, particularly in the Sun Belt over the past month or so, has led to more erratic patterns in aggregate uh, U.S. traffic patterns. For example, we measure traffic congestion on a percentage basis. So a congestion index of 20% means that the average drive-in will pick any city from point A to point B takes 20% longer during a specified time frame than if you were to make the same drive when there's no traffic. So if we take Houston, for example, just given that it's a major city in a COVID plague state, traffic patterns during the peak congestion window between 2 p.m. and 5 p.m. this past Saturday was only 11%. That's well below the 19% that is the pre-COVID normal, but it's also currently much higher than the 4% that we saw last weekend during U.S. Independence Day despite July 4th weekend typically being the busiest driving weekend of the year. So we're able to see that driving is rebounding again, despite a higher infection rate in Texas. Now, the idea of COVID fatigue is also a very fascinating idea. Based on our data, we're certainly seeing some degree of that. So for example, going to the grocery store, pretty essential. Going to the shopping mall, 
completely discretionary. So we use geolocation data to track cell phone pings through the nine largest shopping centers in Texas. And what we've seen is a fairly linear and uniform improvement in foot traffic through the shopping centers that we monitor. So current foot traffic went from virtually shut down prior to May 1st to current levels that are only about 18% below normal levels. So a lot of people are, are roaming the malls despite elevated uh, COVID levels in Texas over the past month. Another fascinating example that I'll use centers on the most discretionary city in the U.S., and that's Las Vegas. Believe it or not, John, Sin City is ahead of the national average in both flight activity and restaurant reservations. So flight activity in Vegas is down only about 44%, which compares to major airports like JFK down 64%, Houston down 57%, LAX down 52%. And what's more is that improvement in flight activity from the Las Vegas airport has been wildly linear over the course of the past four to six weeks and is rebounding at a rate that's much greater than the US-wide index. And there's not a city that streams discretionary travel more than Las Vegas does. And what signal does that give you in terms of the direction of oil demand and, and, and therefore prices over the coming months? Well, prices have, um, have come back in a big way since you and I last talked on this podcast when oil prices went negative. Uh, what we've seen is demand has come back in, in a really big way through many different parts of the world. So driving has come back in a lot of different places in, in, in areas like China and areas like Europe and the U.S. to a certain degree. But it is quite erratic. So what we've seen is a firm floor move higher in oil prices. But what I think is important is when we think about the different elements that make up oil demand. So uh, jet fuel demand is probably going to be the last cut of the barrel that ultimately comes back. So there's discretionary travel that we're still really wary of. Uh, when we look at the U.S., there's still a whole host of flights being canceled globally as well. So we need a lot of these um, parts of the, the barrel to really start kicking up into high gear before we can say that oil demand is going to come roaring back and prices can move materially higher from where we are now, John. What are some of the other major differences you're seeing between the U.S., Europe, and the rest of the world? Many European cities are seeing near linear improvement on a week-over-week -week basis, and several major cities, such as Oslo, Vienna, Berlin, have at times reverted back to driving patterns in excess of levels that we've seen historically. Another good example, New York and Paris. These are uh, clear illustrations of major cities on opposite sides of the Atlantic that highlight the pace at which comparative oil demand is, is returning. So for example, in late April, traffic congestion in both New York City and Paris bottomed out at about 90% below normal vehicle activity. New York continues to deviate from seasonal averages at a clip of about 62% below normal, while traffic congestion in Paris is only about 18% below normal levels. And while these are just two cities, it, it does illustrate the stark pace that we're seeing in vehicle activity on both sides of the Atlantic. Can you give us a sense of what you're seeing in China, not only ground zero for the outbreak, but a major consumer of oil and oil products? I'm glad you brought this up, John, because China, as far as we can see, is the farthest along in terms of a return to normal from a mobility perspective and an oil demand perspective. And we should all keep in mind that China is the world's largest um, growth area when it comes to oil demand. This is interesting because it also provides a very interesting social experiment. Look, 
there are many different aspects of the data in China that weren't highlighting, but I'll quickly mention the two that stand out to me. The first is vehicle activity. So we monitor 20 cities in China and we're able to thin slice the data into hourly intervals. And every single one of the cities, with exception of one, is seeing traffic patterns during the weekday either return to levels that are in line or are eclipsing historically normal or pre-COVID levels. And a lot of this can be attributed to the shunning of public transit. The second fascinating data point is just how disciplined China has been with COVID cases subsequent to the initial outbreak. So following several months with a minimal number of fresh COVID cases, Beijing saw reemergence of infections last month. It wasn't a large outbreak, but both society and government seem to be able to stomp out the ambers and prevent a mass outbreak again. So for example, 18 new cases hit mid last month, and we saw near immediate retracement where 85% of departing flights from Beijing were canceled. Traffic congestion plunged down 77% almost overnight. So the decision um, with the citizens paired with the government's ability to ring fence a major city like Beijing, uh, was quite admirable because you salvaged oil demand through the majority of the country. While mobility was halted, every other major city that we monitored in China was operating as per usual. You and your team have brought a fascinating new approach to research, working with the data science team, RBC Elements, as you mentioned earlier. How might this approach to big data disrupt the research process on Wall Street? It's not just a reboot or a restart of the economy that we're monitoring. Most importantly, it's also a rethink of how we do our jobs. And we've built a vast toolbox of real-time analytical indicators that, to be frank, nobody's had before. Look, we live in a data-driven world and we're able to track real-time human activity and use the data to help decipher societal behavior. This drives our analysis, this drives our workflow, and this drives our thought process. And these efforts are getting us as close to the ground truth as possible. As the U.S. struggles to reopen, all eyes are on the U.S. consumer and how active they will be, particularly for energy this summer. Michael, thanks for being on the call. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, John. And that's our 10-minute take for today. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.